If I were to ask you how you came to be at church this morning, what would you say? You might tell me that you drove here or that you got a ride with someone else. You might tell me that your parents made you come. You might tell me that you're here for a baptism. You might tell me a little more. You might tell me how you came to join Upper Dublin as we heard from some of our soon-to-be new members on Thursday night that someone invited you or someone welcomed you or you visited one Sunday and you just knew this was the place for you. If I were to ask you how you came to be here, you might talk about a turning point in your life, something that drew you back to church after many years. You might respond in any or more of these ways, but it's very doubtful that any of you would respond by saying, oh, It's because of today's first reading from Acts. (laughs) But if you did, you'd be right. For if we are to look back on the reason we're all here, each one of us here this morning, we would come back to our reading from Acts 11, where Peter recounts to the believers in Jerusalem how he had a vision and then went to the home of Cornelius and how, as he preached there, the Holy Spirit fell on them both. Now, the book of Acts, short for the Acts of the Apostles, is the book in the Bible that comes right after the Gospels. It tells the story of what happens after Jesus rises from the dead and then ascends back into heaven. It's the story of how Jesus' followers figure out how to be the church, how to follow Jesus when he's no longer physically present with them, how they figure out what resurrection means and where their mission leads. It's a story about coming to terms with resurrection, about an evolving understanding of what resurrection means for each of us, for the church, and for the world. Just as we spend our whole lives coming to terms with our baptisms, what it means to receive God's unconditional love, we spend our lives, as have had all of Jesus' followers, living into what resurrection means for us. And Acts 11 The reason we are here this morning is one of Peter's great aha moments, not only about what resurrection meant for him or Cornelius, but for the world. In that story, Peter is reporting his recent experiences to the core community of believers in Jerusalem. He tells them that he was in the city of Joppa and he was praying, and when he was praying, he saw a vision. There was a sheet that came down from heaven, lowered by its four corners, And on the sheet, there were all kinds of animals on it. And God told Peter to eat, but Peter refused. He refused because those animals were considered unclean or not kosher by Jews. Peter and all of Jesus' followers at that time were Jewish, and so they still kept the Jewish dietary and other religious laws. But God tells him that what God has declared to be clean Peter must not call unclean, and then the sheet disappears. It's kind of a funky vision, something that you expect to find in the book of Revelation more than the book of Acts. But God uses this vision to prepare Peter for what comes next. Just then, three people come from the household of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Cornelius was a faithful person and wanted to know God. And so one day as he was praying, God spoke to him and said, send for Peter to come and share the gospel with you. 
And this was a highly unusual circumstances because usually Jews like Peter and Gentiles like Cornelius were not expected to associate with one another. And furthermore, up to that point in Acts, almost all the followers of Jesus were Jewish. So it was assumed that you had to be Jewish first before you could become a Christian. But we see in this story that's not what God had in mind. Cornelius tells Peter about how God spoke to him too, and so Peter shared with him the good news about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit falls on them both just as it had of the Jews at Pentecost, and Cornelius believed. This is a major turning point in the Bible because in this story, Christianity goes global. Biblical scholars tell us that this is the first bona fide conversion of a Gentile in the Bible. Up until now, the Bible had been the story of the Jewish people, but now it's a story for everyone because Jesus died to bring forgiveness and salvation to all. It showed that everybody could believe in Jesus, be saved, and share the gift of the Holy Spirit. Cornelius was the first Gentile Christian in a long, long line that lives on in us today. And so one of the main reasons that we are all here today is because God saw fit to reveal God's self in a new way to a new people, people once considered unclean, on the outside, heathens, who were now vital, a vital part of the people of God. God showed Peter and the early disciples that the resurrection and salvation were for everybody. And the group in Jerusalem, when they heard this, were silenced. And then they praised God and said, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. You know, I think we can be like Peter in our own lives of faith. And Peter often serves as a mirror in the scriptures for us. We expect God to act and behave and come to us in very certain ways. And they're ways that we have come to know and expect through our own life experiences. We feel close to God in certain places. There are certain prayers or Bible passages that are dear to us. And a big part of the spiritual life is finding those places and those patterns, those godly grooves and words and prayers and places where God speaks to us and revisiting them over and over again. But the spiritual life is also ever-evolving. Sometimes a spiritual practice that you did for years no longer resonates and connects with you in the same way, and so you move on to another kind of practice. Those moments can be disconcerting. Sometimes it takes a little while to find our new groove, but when we do, God speaks to us in a renewed and powerful way. That's because, like the universe, God's love and mission is something that is ever-expanding. It didn't stop with the 12 disciples. It didn't stop at Pentecost when Jews from every nation received the Holy Spirit. It didn't stop with Cornelius and the Gentiles. It didn't stop with the Corinthians or Colossians or Ephesians. It didn't stop with the Roman Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church, the only churches for 1,500 years. It hasn't stopped with the Lutheran Church either. The love and grace and salvation of God continuously expand to all people in all places through new ways throughout the world. And the reason is that because everything Jesus is about is rooted in love. In our gospel reading that comes well before the story of Peter and Cornelius, Jesus says to his disciples, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. Those disciples, as we see in Peter, 
could have, couldn't have had any idea of what that meant for them at the time or imagined in how many different ways and to how many different people God's love would come. In this, I think about the love that we have for our four kids. Um, it's the same love, but it's shared with each kid in a very different way because each of our kids are very different. We express love in a way that hopefully each of them can fully experience, and it changes over time as they change. It's a love that doesn't insist on itself or its own way, but love to come, that comes to us where we are as we are. You know, this spring I've been helping a number of couples get ready to be married, uh, and we talk about a book that's been around forever called The Five Love Languages. Uh, maybe you've heard about it. And the core idea of this book, The Five Love Languages, is that we all express and receive love in different ways. And the author says there are these five big ways that we do. Words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. And we all speak these five languages in some way. But there's one of those that is our primary language. And when somebody does that for us, an act of service, the gift of quality time, words of affirmation, when somebody speaks our primary language, it's then that we know that we are fully and completely loved. The idea is that knowing your partner's primary love language is the key to letting them know and feel that they are loved. The focus being on how one receives love less more so than how one gives. Well, God knows well enough, knows us well enough to come to each of us in the way that we need to speak our love language. And sometimes those languages change over time. Sometimes we're invited into new ways of experiencing God's love in solitude or meditation and friendship or relationship, surrounded by nature or through music or over a meal. God's mission of love is to meet us where we are and for us to bring that love to everyone else. For in this Easter season, we're reminded again that resurrection is all about love. God's love for us and the call for us to love others in the same way that Jesus loves us. Resurrection is about reconciliation between God and us and between us and one another. Resurrection is about forgiveness. It's about the unexpected and the surprising new things that God continues to do in our world and our lives. And resurrection is for everybody. For the Bible is not a closed playbook catalyzing all the finite ways that God comes to us. It's a story of God's ever-expanding story in all-encompassing love. Finally, I love what it says at the very end of John's gospel. Uh, it's like John got to the end of his scroll and ran out of room, but there was so much more to tell. And he says this, he says, there are many other things that Jesus did. I suppose that the world itself could not contain all the books that would be written. But those books are still being written now, today, and this very morning, on our hearts and in our lives. Thanks in great measure to Peter and Cornelius and God's surprising and unending love. Amen.